0: Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the 18th day of March, 2023. I'm your host, Mark Hall, and as we've probably expected for quite a while, this week turned out to be a week of carnage in the financial markets, the banking system, and, of course, the almighty fiat dollar. But it's certainly been a long time coming, and arguably it's still got a long ways to go. What we're seeing now are the initial birth pangs, if you recognize the metaphor, and the contagion that we saw beginning to rear its head last week, although we've seen the signs for a long time again, accelerated. As usual, once the WayStream press went home for the weekend on Friday, but by Monday morning, things were looking kind of panicky out there. So, where to begin? Like I said, we talked about the uh, onset of this midweek last week, and it accelerated going into the weekend, but now the wheels really seem to have come off the wagon. So, let's join the train wreck already in progress, and this we'd better do in chronological order. As some had speculated, it might happen. No, the stock market wasn't delayed in the opening, and the long-awaited bank holiday hasn't happened yet. But here's the panicky Monday morning headline from the Daily Mail we'll start off with. Trading temporarily halted in dozens of banks after shares fell by up to 75% when the market opened at 9.30 a.m. Moments after Z biden Fuhr said, and I'll play this for you in a second, folks, because when I watched it, I was thinking exactly the same thing. What moron thought watching this guy would inspire confidence in a corrupt, broken-down-and-continuing-to-freefall system? The Biden fear said U.S. banking is safe, as contagion then immediately spread to heavyweights Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and J.P. Morgan. And the sub say things like this, Western Alliance Bank Corp's stock price dropped by three quarters, First Republic Bank dived 67%, and Pacific West Bank Corp plunged more than 35%. Wells Fargo down 7.5%, Bank of America 7.4%, Citigroup 5.8%, and J.P. Morgan, kind of lagging here a bit, was only down 2.7%. And let me introduce this next clip with a bit of a paraphrase from the Daily Mail. The Biden Fuhrer addressed the nation from the Roosevelt Room in the White Whore House as he uh, attempted to stoke the fires of a broader catastrophe sweeping the financial system following the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank starting midweek and really coming to a climax on Friday when SVB crashed and was then basically taken into receivership. But then Monday morning, the fake president, or was it his body double? I tend to think looking at the earlobes, folks, it might have been the latter, but really does it make any difference? At least this guy didn't misread the teleprompter.
1: Before I uh, leave for California, I want to briefly speak about what's happening in Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Today, thanks to the quick action of my administration over the past few days, Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe.
0: Uh Uh-oh, and that may have been the deadly blow right there. But if that wasn't enough, there's more.
1: Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. Small businesses across the country the deposit accounts at these banks can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. And their hard-working employees can breathe easier as well.
0: Besides, folks, if you've been paying attention, you've already been taking your money out of the fiat U.S. dollar, destined for the ash heap of history for a long time now. It's just that now things have gone into freefall.
1: Last week, when we learned of the problems of the banks and the impact they could have on jobs, some small businesses and banking systems overall, I instructed my team to act quickly to protect these interests.
0: And that, of course, means the banksters, not you peons. (laughs) Is anybody really believing anything different than
1: that? On Friday, the government regulator in charge, the FDIC, took control of Silicon Valley Bank's assets. And over the weekend, it took control of Signature Bank's assets.
0: And that's what we do. It's what we've always done, but we're just more clear about it now. We take over assets. We'll take over yours, too. Just watch.
1: Treasury Secretary Yellen and a team of banking regulators have taken action. Immediate action, and here are the highlights. First, all customers who had deposits in these banks can rest assured. I want to rest assured they'll be protected, and they'll have access to their money as of today. That includes small businesses across the country that bank there and need to make payroll, pay their bills, and stay open for business. No losses will. Be, and I want this is an important point. No losses will be borne by the taxpayers. <laughs> Let me repeat that. No losses will be borne by the taxpayers. That's my
0: story, and I'm sticking to it. Because remember, folks, like all the other trillions of dollars we've been printing out of nothing ever since I stole this office, we can print as much as we need, and don't you forget it. If there are consequences, well, that will be borne by the taxpayers. Well, no. Actually, everybody that's holding fiat bucks that are about to get hyperinflated the rest of the way into oblivion.
1: Instead, the money will come from the fees that banks pay into the deposit insurance fund.
0: And then eventually, it'll get passed on down the line, and they'll tell you it's raining on you. But you probably by now know better.
1: That's how capitalism works.
0: Okay, well, yeah, there's a whole lot of BS that follows after this, and uh, as you can guess, folks... That's not how capitalism works, because we haven't had capitalism, we haven't had honest money, and without it you can't have free markets for the better part of a century at this point. And even the far left is starting to figure out that the jig is up. Now, does anybody, even for a second, believe this next great big stinking whopper?
1: We must get the full accounting of what happened and why those responsible can be held accountable. In my administration, no one, in my no one is above the law.
0: Ah, come on. I thought for half a second or so about putting a laugh track in after that, but I realized, no, it just deserves dead silence because whoppers like that, folks, need to just sit
1: there and stink. In my administration, no one in my no one is above the law.
0: Except for those who steal elections, cover it up, and then blame others for an insurrection when they start to try to petition the government for a redress of grievances, in which case we throw them in the gulag and then destroy evidence, and then eventually, after that, all of this happens. Like you knew darn well had already been baked into cake once we got away with the first
1: bit of treason. And finally, we must reduce the risk of this happening again.
0: Oh yeah, we can't forget this part, because here comes the real payoff, folks. Why do you think the biden fuhrer has been talking up and uh, preparing for the central bank digital currency that's going to replace the now-failed almighty fiat dollar for oh so long? As a matter of fact, it's arguably a big part of the reason why this regime was stuffed in there to begin with. We have a former constitutional republic to stick a wooden stake in, bury, and then make sure it never returns. And, of course, a mark of the beast to push as well. So let's pause for a second and talk about some other related aspects of what's going on. First, and most obviously... The Biden regime Executive Order 14067 signed, oh, so coincidentally, almost exactly one year ago to the day that the latest banking crisis got legs, March the 9th, 2022. And Jim Rickers was among several well-known investment advisors who warned about this over a half a year in advance. And before the show's over today, folks, I'll play a segment that I recorded back in August of last year, warning about exactly what we're now seeing come to fruition. But the simple way to set up what we're going to talk about next, and the carnage today, is with a question. If you wanted to force people into a controllable central bank digital currency, knowing full well they weren't going to want to go voluntarily, how would you set it off? Hey, answer... Take a look.
1: Look, the bottom line is this. Americans can rest assured that our banking system is safe. Your deposits are safe. Let me also assure you, we will not stop at this. We'll do whatever is needed.
0: And guess what, folks? We've been planning for this for a long time. And the Bible's been warning about it for a lot longer than that. Objectives, says Section 2 of the biden fuhrers EO-14067, We must protect consumers, it says right up front, investors and businesses in the United States. The unique and varied features of digital assets can pose significant financial risk to consumers, investors and business if appropriate protections are not in place. But rest assured, the Biden regime has already got them in place and isn't this convenient? Quote, in the absence of sufficient oversight and standards, Firms providing digital asset services may provide inadequate protections for sensitive financial data, custodial and other arrangements relating to customer assets and funds, or disclosures of risks. And you saw them today, didn't you? Associated with investment. And guess what? Big Brother has always had a plan to make sure that uh, no perfectly good crisis will go to waste. And this one is one that's been brewing for quite a while. So let's set up the next phase with a story that's been all over the place, from Kristen Taylor and the Gateway Pundit to Zero Hedge and even RT. The Treasury Department announced in a joint statement Sunday evening with the Federal Reserve and the FDIC that all deposits in Silicon Valley Bank will be available on Monday. The same with Signature Bank, which was taken over Sunday by New York State regulators. And here's how author Vox Day is summarizing the statements. The FDIC, he writes, is now effectively ensuring all, no, not a $250,000 limit, all bank deposits for all depositors and I can't help but think ultimately that'll be those that are good little boys and girls is your social credit score up to snuff no matter how much money they have in their account The statement from the regulars was issued to announce a new emergency program, isn't it always, to protect depositors of failing banks. And they explained that they would make a, quote, systemic risk exception for both Signature and Silicon Valley Bank, or SVB, a tech and startup focused lender that was shut down following that now famous bank run last week, the second biggest at the time in U.S. history, allowing clients of both banks to have full access to their deposits. Well, guess what, folks? The fine print will come later. The deposit guarantee, says Vox Day, was raised from 40 grand to 100,000 in 1980, and then from 100k to 250,000. In line with inflation, you can't help but think in 2008, and the new emergency program, as it's called, is not really new, because despite the initially responsible statements by Yellen and the Federal Reserve, plans to implement the no-limit program have been in place since at least 2020, and he provides the link, dating to March 26th of 2020. And now he adds the protection level has been made de facto limitless, meaning that the next series of failures will threaten the collapse of the entire system. And that is, of course, the fundamental problem with centralization Because it removes the protective limits of decentralization in a foolish and inevitably futile attempt to avoid the consequences of limited failure. And what we're seeing today, folks, the opposite, contagion. Combine this with increased centralization, as well as the $620 bucks of unrealized losses that U.S. banks have not yet accounted for as of the end of 2022, and the fact that the current zero-reserve banking system is literally a Ponzi scheme, with the Fed desperately trying to make depositors hold each time a bank can't keep up with its outstanding loans. And guess what? Systemic failure is inevitable. Now, Vox Day doesn't say it. I'll note there have been people talking about bail-ins for a long time. That's when the bank just keeps the money of the depositors, because remember, we've talked about this on this show for a long time. It isn't really your money anymore. Anyway, you're just an unsecured creditor. But wait, isn't this latest Biden scam exactly the opposite of that? No, folks. And that's where the fine print still to be revealed will come in. And actually, it's already been revealed. All you have to do is connect the dots. It'll be a different kind of insurance. No, it won't be cash. You won't be able to hold it in your hot little hands, not even in the form of increasingly worthless fiat paper. It'll be digital CBDC bucks, Biden bucks, and they'll be completely subject to the whims. And, of course, also subject to change without notice of the ruling tyrants. And as long as you're a good little slave, you just might get to use them. But, of course, not for things that they don't want you to be able to buy anyway. Whether it's food or fossil fuels like gas for your car or natural gas for the stove they don't want you to have either. Or, without question, firearms. Which leads me to a quick related story. I wasn't even sure how I was going to work it in today. But here's where it fits. And as TGP's headline says, that was quick. Democrats are already asking the FedGov to censor socialist media that could lead to runs on the banks or anybody waking up to what they've got planned next. The article leads with a picture of customers lining up in front of a Silicon Valley branch on Friday. Shades of the Great Depression... And it says this, Representative Thomas Massey, Republican from Kentucky, was on a Zoom call Sunday afternoon with members of Congress, the Fed, the Treasury, and FDIC organized after SVB crashed and was taken over by the communist state of California on Friday. And yes, don't forget, it was the second largest bank collapse in U.S. history and the largest since the 2008 banking crisis. But during the call on Sunday, Massey reported that at least one socialist senator asked the question to the group if there was a program in place to Insert free speech at this time on socialist media. Because obviously peons can't be allowed to know what's going on and exchange the truth among themselves. And Big Brother's response? We'll get back to you on that, Senator. Oh, yeah, and this, too, is related. Another story from TGP. Silicon Valley Bank's Twitter account was deleted. Who could have thought it just shortly after the bank went up for auction? Their YouTube videos are all deleted, too. And as this story also notes, part of the reason might be because SVB's Twitter account had been mocked for tweeting a Forbes article, and from just three weeks ago, mind you, which ranked that now-collapsed bank as one of the top banks in the United States. And, uh... What does that say about them? What does it say about Forbes? And what does it say about the rest of those
1: top banks? Look, the bottom line is this. Americans can rest assured that our banking system is safe. Your deposits are safe. Let me also assure you, we will not stop at this. We'll do whatever is needed. Now,
0: from there, let's talk for a minute about fallout, the obvious, the economic, and the uh, not-so-obvious First, from the Daily Mail, which has a headline saying, and we've already just talked about this, but this fleshes it out a bit, America's $620 billion ticking time bomb, the FDIC. And its chairman, Martin Grunberg, who spoke on March 6th, not very long ago, at the Institute for International Banksters, revealed then that there are unrealized losses at U.S. banks and financial institutions, resulting when an asset's value has decreased, but it hasn't yet been sold. Because, hey, who wants to sell it at a huge loss until you're forced to? Which, uh, coincidentally, might be what we're talking about now. Says the Daily Mail, this revelation about the unrealized losses will only serve to raise already extreme concerns about the U.S. banking industry. Exacerbated, of course, because the Fed has backed up until they heard the glass breaking and it's broken big time. The time bomb began ticking while interest rates were very low, money was printed to infinity and debt became the rule of the day but now with interest rates rising and destined to go even higher, those who are holding those increasingly worthless bonds are finding that, well, they have declined in value. They're worth less. Most of this week's insanity did ultimately have to do with financial shenanigans fake money and criminals running amok and since midweek brought us the famous Shakespearean reminder, beware the Ides of March, let's go there next. And when it comes to both insanity and lawlessness, it's tough to top the left coast hub of wokeness.
1: You will never find more wretched hive of scum and villainy.
0: The land of feces and needles, San Francisco, where even the leftist Daily Mail sees the idiocy in this one. I'll just read the headline here. San Franciscans, it says, line up at a board meeting to sing and shout their support for reparations and a plan to give every black resident 5 million fiat fake Biden bucks, white personal debt, provide $97,000 incomes and homes for just a buck. And no one even bothers to ask, How will the city foot the bill? (laughs) Hey, same way the Silicon Valley Bank did. All right, here's the capsule synopsis. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors on Tuesday held a public hearing to allow people, well, at least, you know, some people, to air their views on an idiotic, and I put that word in there, folks, plan to provide reparations for black residents. It was unveiled in December by the SF African American Reparations Advisory Committee. After two years of, uh, well, whatever they call it, work doesn't seem to be the right word here, the final plan will be filed in June, and the initial recommendations call for a one-time lump-sum reparations payment of $5 bucks to each eligible resident. By the way, it says here, and I'm surprised the Daily Mail didn't add without any evidence, that it's financially impossible. And the Daily Mail at least does point this out. No one at the emotional meeting where residents burst into song and begged to be made whole asked how the struggling, debt-riddled city might actually pay for it. You know what? Some of us can probably guess why. Because they would have immediately been branded racist and maybe even taken outside and lynched. Oh, come to think of it, maybe I'd better amend that last comment. Maybe they wouldn't have even made it away from the microphone. And we follow that up with something else that happened not too far away, where the Biden-fewer was doing a bit of grave dancing again, looking to complete the gang rape of the Bill of Rights and put yet another wooden stake into what's left of the Second Amendment. Now, while we're looking at headlines from the left-leaning rag from across the pond, we'll start there. Enough! Do something, says the headline from the Daily Mail. This time, Biden again demands a ban on assault weapons and accuses MAGA Republicans, get this, of wanting to defund the police. Oh, yeah, and this part at least rings true. And abolish the FBI as he announces more, more, more background checks for peons that ultimately they don't want to be allowed to buy guns anyway. The fake president spoke, or was it his body double? Spoke in Monterey Park, California, home of the gun-free killing zone. They saw 11 disarmed victims shot and killed in January. Although you can rest assured that particular day it was no longer gun-free, except, of course, among the slaves. Where Biden put his ex on an executive order allowing or encouraging even more anti-gun infringements that are called by the leftist rag here, gun safety measures. By the way, the video does look like it's the fake guy rather than the real fake guy because the earlobes seemed firmly attached. In his speech, as he left his frag without any actual specifics, the fake president, and no, it didn't say that, made an emotional speech for stricter gun laws, i.e. even more infringement, as he signed an executive order to increase still more the number of background checks, or at least so they tell you. And he again called for a ban of assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. Unlikely, says the Daily Mail, to happen because Republicans control the House. And nobody even bothers to note that it would be utterly unconstitutional anyway. After all, who cares about the Bill of Rights? And here, folks, I have to pause and note that I saw all kinds of fawning praise for this vague anti-constitutional executive order. But virtually none of them talked about the specifics. What is it that this moron actually signed? Well, Fox at least got close. They said the fake president's order, quote, does not change U.S. government policy, but instead directs federal agencies to ensure compliance with existing laws and procedures. A typical feature they add of executive orders issued by presidents, yeah, folks, even fake unelected presidents, when they confront the limits of their own power to act without cooperation from Congress. And they don't say it, but I will, and especially when it's a direct violation of the prohibitions in that Bill of Rights thing. Now, let's not forget here, I'm not forgetting for a second, you shouldn't either, that the Bill of Rights only applies to governments acting within the scope of their actual authority, and no doubt about it, it's been held not to apply to slaves. Those who have traded, as Franklin put it, their essential liberties for a cup of pottage, or a little temporary security. At least Fox News gets this part right, if you read it carefully enough. The plan, it says, calls for the Attorney General, scumbag Merrick Garland, to shore up the rules for federally licensed gun dealers so they know who is boss, and that they are required to do background checks as part of their license. Because this guy is such an anti-constitutional clown, I'm gonna spend at least a minute or two actually reviewing this so-called speech before that little left coast group of sheeple And yes, folks, I am going to add in a word or two every now and then that he didn't manage to read from the teleprompter to help with our understanding.
1: First, this executive order helps keep firearms out of dangerous hands. Yours. As I continue to call on Congress to require background checks for all firearm sales. And in the meantime, in the meantime, my executive order directs my attorney general to take Every lawful action possible, possible. Hey, you know what that
0: means? We could care less about
1: the real law. To move us as close as we can to universal background checks without new legislation.
0: Because can you believe it? There are still some legislatures that think you peons have a right to do certain things just because the stinking Constitution says so.
1: The executive order also expands public awareness campaigns about the red flag orders, laws.
0: The Soviet-style red flag laws. And if public awareness was really expanded, everybody would know that.
1: Second thing it does, the executive order ramps up our efforts to hold the gun industry accountable. It's the only outfit you can't sue these days.
0: Whoa, whoa, what a bunch of unmitigated BS, and everybody in that audience should have known it. The fact that he didn't get catcalled is proof of just how dumbed down they are. Hey, guess which federally protected Big Brother public-private partner you really can't sue? Because they have immunity, but they can kill you with impunity and by the millions. And this tyrant even wants to force you to take their poison. If you can't say big pharma there, folks, you're not paying attention. And I gotta say it, anybody who believes that this son of a you know what is really interested in saving lives is a blankety blanket idiot.
1: In an instant, the executive order improves federal coordination to support victims, survivors, and their families and communities affected by mass shootings. Now, if you're affected by the vaccine, the
0: Zyklon B injection, you can take your injuries, your dead kids, and your heart arrhythmias and shove them where the sun don't shine, and oh yeah, where the blood don't flow. And if we want to poison your town like we did in Ohio with more dioxin, ha ha! Just what are you going to do about it? Don't even think about asking for Big Brother to buy out your poison farm.
1: But let's be clear, none of this absolves Congress the responsibility from responsibility from the responsibility of acting. ...to pass universal background checks.
0: I don't care if you put your hand on a Bible and took an oath to that G.D. piece of paper or not. Hey, look at me. It hadn't slowed me down. And without our say-so, that's what universal checks are, you know, our say-so, you peons, you slaves, don't have a right to own or buy or sell anything. And you're going to figure that out real soon now.
1: And I'm determined, once again, to ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines... You can take that
0: Bill of Rights and shove it the same place we're going to shove the needle into you. Anybody cheering for this crap is just plain worse than merely ignorant of history. They're stupid unto suicidal. And as we go to break, I guess it's apropos to talk about the real Big Brother public-private partner that is exempt from legal and economic responsibility, Big Pharma. There were the usual and now expected sudden adult deaths this week, not even newsworthy anymore. There was, though, a British Airways pilot, almost died in flight. Instead, it looks like he had a heart attack at the crew hotel just before the flight, which was delayed without explanation, but ultimately lucky for everybody. And that was at least the second reported such aviation, oops... With Vax Pilots this month. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back now to the second segment for this evening. This is Mark Kahl. And by Friday, it was clear that the banking meltdown was only just getting rolling. Here's one story of several from Zero Hedge. The bailout has arrived, says a piece, early Thursday morning Eastern time. Credit Suisse is going to borrow $54 billion from the Swiss National Bank to get this preemptively strengthened liquidity. Meanwhile, the Saudis, as you probably know, have folded and refused to throw any more fake fiat money at Credit Suisse. They hit a record low midweek. There's lots and lots of fallout from all of that. But now the bailout from the Swiss National Bank has arrived. And a follow-up piece from Zero Hedge just about an hour later said, ooh, who could have thought it? Credit Suisse shares jumped 40%. That's the most on record at the European Open after the lender tapped the SNB for as much as 50 billion francs and offered to repurchase their, uh, well, not worth too much debt. But those gains have now been cut in half, says Tyler Durden, confirming our worst skeptical view voiced last night that the bailout wasn't going to be enough. Too little too late. So the shares fell 20% Wednesday after its top shareholder ruled out an even bigger Bigger investment. There follow some comments from various European analysts that basically say, "Oh, wonderful, but not nearly enough." Meanwhile, there's some other follow from other elements of industry. Virgin Orbit, the private space startup by Richard Branson, has crashed in pre-market trading on a report that is now furloughing nearly all of its employees and pausing its operations for a week as it searches for, guess what, an emergency funding lifeline. CNBC reported that on Wednesday, executives from Virgin, the satellite launch firm founded by Richard Branson, had a meeting with staff to discuss the company's now uncertain future. And the executives informed employees that those furloughed wouldn't get any pay but could use their PTO, their paid time off. And meanwhile, the company will maintain only a skeleton team. As shares of the company plunged 45%, down to 55 cents in pre-market trading in New York after the late Wednesday announcement. And they're down more than 90% since peaking at around 10 bucks back in 2021. Meanwhile, here's another uh, nail in the fiat coffin. This comes from Russia today. So, yeah, take it with almost as much of a grain of salt you would something from the WAPO or New York Times. Zimbabwe, though, is the latest country to join the throng that's kind of pushing for a run on the U.S. dollar. They're going to ditch the dollar and trade with Russia, say officials, and are looking now to arrange trade between those countries in things like either local currencies or gold. And let me pause up front here for just a second, folks, and ask the obvious question. What does it say when a country like Zimbabwe, with one of the most infamous bouts with hyperinflation in history, realizes the U.S. dollar is too risky to hold anymore? Maybe it's deja vu all over again. Maybe they did learn from history. Remember, they've been under Western sanctions for 22 years at this point, notes the piece, and the curbs imposed on Russia shouldn't need to handicap trade between two countries that are all on the outs with Big Brother America. Quote, Our banks should find a way to make the Russian ruble and the Zimbabwean dollar freely convertible. Also, our countries both are rich in gold reserves. We're among the top seven countries in the world in terms of gold mining. Production volumes are growing. We're now mining 35 tons a year, but we could all mine 50. So we need to think about securing our trade in those gold reserves. So the speaker for the ruling party in Zimbabwe. And he went on to note that nothing could derail trade between Moscow and Harare, adding that China, India, and various Middle Eastern nations are all also moving towards abandoning the dollar in trade. All of this turmoil and the fact that your host is among many who've been talking about it, predicting it, warning that it was almost here for a long time, leads me to spend some time today talking about several insightful pieces that begin to connect some of the dots here. Like this one from Jim Quinn at the Burning Platform, who quotes two infamous Treasury Secretaries. One former, thankfully, and another, sadly, still in there. First, Hank Paulson, who back just before the infamous you-know-what that happened in 2008, this was March 16th, hmm, isn't that amazing? Exactly 15 years ago said, quote, we've got strong financial institutions. Ha, ha, ha. Our markets are the envy of the world. They're resilient. They're innovative. They're flexible. I think we move very quickly to address situations in this country. And as I said, our financial institutions are strong. And we know what happened not too long after that. Well, let's fast forward 15 years to Janet, I don't know which end is up, Yellen who said this, quote, I have full confidence, uh uh-oh, in banking regulators to take appropriate actions in response and noted that the banking system remains resilient and regulators have effective tools to address this type of event. Let me be clear that during the financial crisis, there were investors and owners of systemic large banks that were bailed out. And the reforms that have been put in place means we are not going to do that again. Unquote. And let me reinterpret that into English, folks. That means this time around we'll do exactly the same thing, but we'll call it something different. Writes Jim Quinn, with the recent implosion of Silicon Valley Bank and, of course, Signature Bank, the largest bank failure since 2008, I had an overwhelming sense of deja vu. And he noted that he wrote an article entitled, Is the U.S. Banking System Safe? On August 3rd, 2008, for the Seeking Alpha website one month before the collapse of the global financial system. And it was that article, among others, that caught the attention of documentary filmmaker Steve Bannon. At the time, he was unknown, but not so much since then, although remember main that way says Quinn but anyway the quotes above by the lying deceitful Wall Street controlled treasury secretaries are exactly 15 years apart but basically exactly the same Their sole job is to keep the con game, the confidence game, going and to protect their real constituents, the Wall Street banksters. And just as they did 15 years ago, he says, the powers that be once again intend to use taxpayer funds or at least uh, newly printed money, which is kind of the same thing. There's a subtle technical difference there, but ultimately, folks, guess who takes it in the shorts either way? To bail out the reckless banksters two hours before the only solution the feds know, print money and shovel it out to their buds, Michael Burry explained exactly what was about to happen. And he wrote this, dated 4.20 p.m., March the 12th this year. Quote, 2000, 2008, 2023, it's always the same. People full of hubris and greed take stupid risks and fail. Money is then printed because it works so well. Quinn continues that when Biden, yell and the rest of the Wall Street protection team tell you the banking system is safe and they have everything under control, they're lying, just as he pointed out 15 years ago. And then he notes a famous movie, folks, that I still haven't yet seen. I encourage folks to see it, though, because I've heard lots of good commentary on it. The Big Short. Before those days, he says, before the public knew anything about toxic subprime mortgages issued by criminal banksters and then packaged into derivatives and then given a AAA rating by the greedy, compliant rating agencies, the Wall Street cabal knew their time was growing short, but he says that didn't keep the lying bastards like John Thane, Merrill Lynch, Dick Fold, Lehman Brothers, Angelo Mozillo, Countrywide, Kerry Killinger, Washington Mutual, and others from pretending their institutions were healthy and profitable right up until the day they collapsed. Lying is in the DNA, he says, of every financial executive, politician, government bureaucrat and Federal Reserve hack. And then he quotes Hemingway's famous line about, hey, how did you go bankrupt? And the answer was, well, slowly at first, and then all of a sudden. That seems apropos today. There are many similarities, says Quinn, between what happened in 2008 and what's now happening again. Bear Stearns went belly up in March of 2008. They were taken over by J.P. Morgan in an arranged marriage by Bernanke and the Fed. The usual suspects assured the country this was just a one-off situation. And the banking system was, say it with me, folks, strong, resilient. The Wall Street banks had been reporting huge profits because they were hiding the massive losses on their balance sheets. Now, this is part of the big key here. And yeah, the more things appear to change, the more they stay the same. If they didn't foreclose on those bad debts, well, then they didn't have to write off the mortgages. So the toxic debt just kept building and being hidden. In the summer of 2008, the banks started to report losses, but they assured investors it was only Again, a one-off, a one-time hit. All was well. The week I wrote my article, Wall Street Bank stocks had soared 20% or more because they reported losses for the second quarter that were (laughs) less than expected. My article cut through all the BS, he said, being shoveled out by the likes of Larry Kudlow, Jim Cramer, the Wall Street CEOs, and the supposed analyst experts who still had buy ratings on all of these bloated debt pigs. My assessment, says Quinn, was somewhat contrary to CBS News' lies. And here he quotes himself. I would estimate that we're only in the early stages of bank write-offs. The write-offs will at least equal the previous peaks reached in the early 1990s. If a large bank such as Wamo, Washington Mutual, or Rakovia were to fail, it would wipe out the FDIC fund. But when and if that fund is depleted, guess who'll pay? Right again, another taxpayer bailout. What's another hundred or two hundred billion among friends? Well, a hundred billion, as you know today, folks, is chump change. They're talking words that begin with T nowadays. Merrill Lynch was reporting billions in losses, issuing new stock and trying to survive. They were clearing a death spiral. I saw the writing on the wall, and again he quotes himself, how long will investors be duped into supporting this disaster? You can be sure that the other usual suspects, Citicorp, Lehman Brothers, Wamo, will be announcing more write-downs and capital dilution over coming weeks. And by the end of September, Lehman Brothers and Washington Mutual were all gone. Merrill Lynch and Wachovia were acquired for pennies on the dollar, and Citicorp became a zombie bank sustained by the Fed for years. My article he said was dire. My analysis showed we were in for years of pain and the worst drop in U.S. housing prices in history. And guess what? He goes through the charts, some of the comments, and uh, turns out he was exactly right. I like this quote, though. The consumer is being forced to cut back on eating and shopping. The marginal players will fall by the wayside. Big box retailers, restaurants, mall developers, and commercial developers are all about to find out that their massive expansion was built upon false assumptions. A foundation of sand driven by excessive debt. And it seems he, as I was quite accurate in my assessment, home prices did in fact go down more than 15% and they didn't bottom until 2012. The global financial collapse brought an end to the big box expansion phase as many went under and the survivors concentrated on their existing stores. Well guess what? They got a nice boost with the pandemic a couple of years back, didn't they? Hmm. Your host can't help but ask, is that a coincidence? Almost makes me want to suggest a new term that ought to enter the lexicon here, bailout by lethal injection. Although maybe it started off with bailout by bioweapon. Continues Jim Quinn, the most interesting part when I go back to look at that 15-year-old article were the comments and the psychology of the crowd that was revealed therein. Despite my use of unequivocal facts, I was branded a doomer. Overly pessimistic and certainly an idiot. Many commenters said the Fed would save the day and it was time to buy the dips. Sounds like they're still drinking that same Kool-Aid. If they had bought the dip on the day my article came out, they would have lost 44% over the next eight months during the relentless bear market. So now the question is whether the current situation is better or worse than we faced in 2008. He goes through a bunch of charts and numbers. Bottom line, hey, guess what? It's a whole heck of a lot worse. I guess I could summarize it this way. Fifteen years ago, you heard numbers that involved millions. Now it's billions, or in some cases, trillions. All you hear, though, is happy talk and false bravado from Wall Street analysts covering their own insolvent industry. They constantly harp on the fact that mortgage lending is much more risk-averse today and therefore secure. Of course, the next liquidity crisis is never driven by the same exact factors as the last one was. They make the same mistakes, they just do it in a different way, is the bottom line here. The key factors, though, are always the same, says Quinn. Loose monetary policies by the Fed lead to excess risk-taking by greedy banksters, hedge funds, and corporate executives. Oh, nowadays you could add wokeness, political correctness, and transgender idiocy, along with ESG, into the mix. But ultimately something blows up and the billionaires get bailed out at the expense of the taxpayers who have been getting devastated financially by the inflation caused by Powell and his printing press. So he says this latest banking crisis that, yeah, say it with me, folks, no one could possibly have seen coming except any honest financial analyst who understands either math or history is following the same path as it did in 2008. The narrative about banks not taking credit risk and peddling bad mortgages is being blown up as we speak. But this time, instead of the risk being centered on toxic mortgages like it was in 2008, it's permeated literally every crevice of the financial system due to years and years of 0% interest rates by the Fed. Now, virtually everything is overvalued by 30% to 50% because cheap debt was available for everyone for everything. And extremely low interest rates led to extreme risk-taking by banksters, corporations, home buyers, auto buyers, politicians, you name it. And you've heard this line paraphrased before. I think it might have originally been Warren Buffett. The unleashing of inflation by Powell's policies has led to the tide going out and revealing just who was now swimming naked. Here he quotes an interesting comment from the Daily Mail, and they seem to have arrived late to the party, but at least in hindsight, they can put their finger on a bit of what happened. Silicon Valley Bank, they said, had no head of risk assessment for nine months before it collapsed, as the woke boss for Europe, Middle East, and Africa was instead busy organizing a month-long Pride campaign and Lesbian Visibility Day. And yep, Quinn puts it this way. While risk managers at banks across the world have been concentrating on diversity and pushing woke agendas about transgender rights, climate change, and practicing ESG investing, they ignored uh, the simple concept that bonds that they acquired at 1% will lose money when interest rates go to 4%. Just as the banks in 2008 were sitting on billions of unrealized losses from the toxic mortgages in their portfolios, the same banks are now sitting on billions of unrealized losses from the newest toxic Toxic asset. No, not home mortgages, folks. U.S. Treasury debt. Everyone knows it. It's just math. They've been counting on Powell to reverse course. But wait, with reported inflation still at 6%, he's now trapped. Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank were swimming naked. And when the depositors realized that a bank run had, in fact, already happened, poof, sudden crisis. But the narrative being spun is still that this is a regional banking crisis. Oh, yes, and it's confined to the smaller banks, the ones that don't have Big Brother on their team. The narrative is being spun by the big Wall Street banks and their captured media mouthpieces with the intent that the depositors at smaller banks would panic and then shift their deposits to the so-called safe Wall Street banks Um, may or may not pan out. Because the truth is that the big Wall Street banksters have massive levels of unrealized losses too, and they desperately need deposits to keep them from facing the same fate as the Silicon Valley Bank and Signature. Those unrealized losses aren't going away, and at some point, they will have to be realized in the near future. Now, this leads your host to pause and say, hey, I can't help but think, and I've suggested this over the last few days, there's probably already a deal in place because it's not like they really didn't see this coming and um, have probably taken some actions. And Let's see how Jim Quinn lays it out. Credit Suisse has been the crazy uncle of the financial industry, kept in the basement for years, kind of like you-know-who with the mask. Their demise is a foregone conclusion, he says, but... That's been covered up and ignored by those in the know. They appear to be the new Lehman Brothers though, and they will blow up the already insolvent European financial system and spread a contagion of losses across the financial world. Those quadrillions, and that's with a Q this time, that's a thousand trillion folks, in obscure derivatives are an unknown element in the coming meltdown, but you can be sure they won't have a positive impact. Meanwhile, both small and large banks have no reserves left to lend. Debt issuance is the new Potemkin ingredient keeping this farce of an economic system running. So without debt to finance overextended consumer lifestyles, fund wars in Ukraine, and fund the woke agendas of lying politicians and corporations, the entire facade is collapsing and will continue to. Now, here I'll ask another question. How is it that you think companies can do such stupid things and still manage to make a profit? Look at Disney. Look at some of those companies that used to sell guns, like Dick's Sporting Goods, but decided, the hell with gun buyers. We don't need those anymore. We don't need the core customers that kept us in business. And you can multiply that by so many other companies and so many other industries that it's mind-boggling. Let's show our customers how much we really hate them. Let's fund idiocy. Let's give megabucks to Black Lives Matter and Antifa to fund riots and burn up the inner cities. Let's tell the mothers and fathers of America that we want your kids screwed, and I mean literally and figuratively, oh yeah, we'll help Big Brother to cut off their genitalia and turn them into little we-don't-know-whats anymore as well. How can companies do things like that and expect to be profitable? Well, not by selling products to the people that they've pissed off. Ultimately, there's one main answer. What do you think ESG is all about? Yeah, Big Brother is the one that's really making the payroll and providing the big bonuses for the big execs that play ball. It took a while, but we've now seen what happened to Twitter. And I'll ask it this way. What kind of deals are already in place? I have a suspicion. We're going to find out. Yeah, it comes full circle. Call it a bailout by another name. Continues Jim Quinn, real wages have been negative for 23 consecutive months, almost two years. Interesting. A banking crisis means banks will reduce lending dramatically. Consumers have been forced to live off their credit cards for the last two years as their savings dried up and their wages bought less. A deep recession is in the cards, and that's putting it mildly, folks. Consumers are already pulling back and spending less, and what with credit drying up and spending going down, employers across the globe will start laying people off. As unemployment rises, people will stop paying their enormous Mortgage and auto loans, which will lead to more losses at banks, just like 2008 into 2009. And guess what? Everybody will look again to the Fed to save the day, and they'll pretend they have everything under control, but they don't. Back in 2008, their balance sheet was only $900 bucks. Today, it's nine times as large, and the relentless QE, while interest rates were suppressed, has left them with enormous unrealized losses on the mortgage and treasury bonds they bought. They let the inflation genie out of the bottle, and now it's ingrained in the economy. Companies who gave 2% annual raises to their employees for a decade are now forced to give twice that, 4% or more, due to Fed-created inflation. And the workers are still getting the shaft, folks. And if the Fed slashes rates and goes back to money printing through QE, the current 6% inflation rate, and oops, here folks I have to say, that's the official lie, the real number, according to John Williams and Shadow Stats, calculated the old fashioned way, is 14% plus, while unemployment is closer to 25%. But even so, even the fake numbers will soon be back in double digits, and if Powell does nothing or continues raising rates, the banking system will almost certainly collapse. His choices are either deflationary collapse or hyperinflationary collapse. And by the way, folks, that's the same two choices that your host has been talking about for as long as I've been doing radio, because it's the only two choices. It's the way every fiat money system in history always, and without exception, has ended. Powell's stuck between the proverbial rock and the hard place, but since he's controlled by Wall Street, he'll probably slash rates, restart QE, backstop the banksters, and screw the average American, as always. Now, Quinn doesn't address it here, but I have. You know the term. It's called the Great Reset, and it involves a replacement that you may have read about somewhere. Quinn quotes what he wrote back 15 years ago on this point too, noting the U.S. banking system is essentially insolvent and now he adds the following. We never paid the piper and cleared out the excesses of the previous banking crisis so the financial condition of the nation is now far worse than it was in 2008. The condition of the average American is also far worse financially than it was in 2008 and probably in just about every other way too. The financial condition of the Federal Reserve is far worse than it was in 2008. The financial condition of the banking system is far worse than it was 15 years ago. Our leaders, sick, kicked the can down the road in order to give the system the appearance of stability, and we let them do it. We could have taken the pain back in 2008 and let the system reset after purging all the bad debt and bad banks, but we, that would be a collectivist, we folks, chose the wrong path and will now suffer the consequences as described by Ludwig von Mises a century ago. And if you haven't heard this one, you should have. It's a great quote. There is no means, he wrote, of a Avoiding the final collapse of a boom brought about by credit explosion. The alternative is only whether the crisis should come sooner, as a result of voluntary abandonment of further credit expansion, or later, as a final and total catastrophe of the currency system involved. And as you may have heard, he called the inevitable time when the average member of the generally dumb public realizes the money in their wallet is never ever going to be worth as much again as it is right this instant. Well, he calls that the crack-up boom. It says, Quinn, my advice 15 years ago was to reduce your deposit exposure at all financial institutions, don't invest in financial stocks, and follow the honest, truthful analyst when it comes to realizing how close we are to the edge. Quote, when you see a bank CEO or a top government official telling you that everything is all right, run for the hills because they're lying. They didn't see this coming, and they have no idea how it'll end. But the rest of us should, at least by now. Now, I'm going to follow that up with two very much related but a bit briefer pieces. The first one, just a couple of comments from Simon White, Bloomberg's macro strategist, about the collapse of SVB and the turmoil at Credit Suisse. Which he says will turbocharge the effects of QT, quantitative tightening, sealing the case for U.S. recession that remains underpriced by equity and credit markets. Remember QT? Well, he says to misquote Dirty Harry, in all this excitement, it's easy to lose track of what's going on. But QT's effects are now likely to accelerate as banking stress causes a steeper fall in bank reserves and tips the economy inevitably into a potentially deep recession. Or some of us might even use that word that starts with D. All of which means the Fed is the therefore likely to back off because the glass is already broken and end the rate hiking cycle early. Well, will they or not? That leads me to the second piece here, courtesy of Greg Manerino writing for the Trends Journal and also King World News, who says the overnight collapse of SVB certainly got everybody's attention, but really, it's not a surprise, is it? It's just a symptom of the current worldwide economic freefall being deliberately, he says, and I can't help but agree, fostered by the central banksters. And if you're familiar with his work, he's talked about it for quite some time, but basically, he says, we have an entire financial system worldwide that's breaking down and it's not any accident. It's the early stage of a deliberate systemic failure. And the idea here is, yeah, crush the existing system, tear it down, and then what? Build back better. Yeah, the great reset. Issue a new one. And I'll say it again. Yep, in place of the almighty dollar, how about a central bank digital version? He believes one of the big threats here is that the collapse of smaller and regional banks, deliberately set off, will allow the mega-banksters to consolidate power. Have we ever seen that before? Why didn't any of them step in and try to bail out SVB? Answer, because they're looking for a real fire sale and expecting to buy all of them on the cheap for pennies on the buck real soon now. I mean, really, folks, it's not like we couldn't see it coming.